Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Today's AMRM, oh boy, we are going to be talking apples. Of course, it is fall, and some of us, especially if we've been around the block a few times, Think of apples. I always remember Phil in Silo as a kid and going to my grandpa's orchard. He had a few apple trees. And, of course, uh, you had to be a little careful because there was a worm in one every now and then. My guest on the program today, familiar voice to KDHL listener David Bedford, who's the apple breeder at the University of Minnesota's Landscape Arboretum. Here we are, David, another year older. You're wiser. I'm just a year older. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm hoping we both learned something in the last year, but, uh, yep, here we are is right. Well, let's briefly review, and so bragging is permitted a little bit, but I'm pretty proud of the University of Minnesota Landscape Arboretum and the apple breeding program. Only, what, about three left in the country? That's right. We're one of three, and uh, we're still... Uh, Still very active and and doing what we're supposed to be doing, I like to think. Well, why don't we talk just a little bit about how apples came to Minnesota, but it was a staple of the settlers' diet because it was nutritious and didn't need to worry about it uh, going bad like meat or some vegetables quite as quickly. So it was a staple back in the day. Well, it was. It was very important, and uh, in fact, that was one of the problems in Minnesota. As the settlers moved further west from the East Coast, they brought the apple varieties that they had with them, uh, and most of those varieties had originated in Europe. So they were certainly suited to those climate uh, demands, and uh, all was well and good until they got to Minnesota and found out that we had a different climate here. And in fact, that was a disaster because almost all of the varieties they brought with them were not hardy enough to survive our winters. So this really created a problem, but also an opportunity because out of that problem, uh, the university's apple breeding program was founded back in the late 1800s. And uh, then we moved eventually from our original location to our present location, which is just down the road from the Landscape Arboretum. And uh, that was in 1907. And since then, we've been uh, breeding varieties uh, full time. And how did you get interested in apples, David, and developed it into a great career? (laughs) Well, I guess just happenstance, you know, it was kind of funny. I grew up uh, in the South up through my high school years, and uh, I didn't think that much of apples back in those days because all we had to choose from, at least all that I knew about, was Red Delicious. And I'll tell you, even to this day, that's that's nothing to get too excited about. Uh, But I always had an interest in fruit of all sorts. It just apples wasn't at the top of the list. And... uh, After I went to grad school in horticulture, I saw this opportunity here in Minnesota 
for an apple breeder. And I thought, well, let's see what that's about. I came here and it turned out there was a whole world of apples beyond Red Delicious. And so <laughs> I kind of fell in love with that. And uh, I guess you'd say spent the last 45 years uh, pursuing that, that dream. You mentioned you grew up in the south. How far south, as in warm weather? Yes, warm weather, uh, North Carolina. Oh. Uh, and so there are some apples grown in the mountains of North Carolina, but it's not a major apple-producing state. But even those states that were, you know, apple-producing states back uh, when I was growing up in the late 60s, early 70s, Red Delicious just dominated the country. That was, uh, if you went to a grocery store, that was what you were going to find. So, uh, you know, I ate apples as a kid. I thought, well, they're good for you, I guess. I mean, so was broccoli and Brussels sprouts, but <laughs> didn't particularly like them at the time. I, I like them now. Uh, but you know, it never seemed like apples were that exciting. Uh, but turns out they are exciting. So did you have to get winterized a little bit too, when you came up to Minnesota? <laughs> <laughs> yes. But to be honest, I was ready to leave. I, I, I was always, I always wanted to live in a place that had snow. And so I got plenty of that in Minnesota and, uh, put that hot, humid weather behind me and those mealy red delicious and uh, have lived in Minnesota for 45 years now with uh, the good clean weather and good people and good apples. And so bragging now, how many varieties since back in the late 1800s have been developed and released by the University of Minnesota? Well, we're just up to the point of releasing our 29th one now. So, uh, you know, the older ones, uh, probably one of the, the older ones that people would still know the name of, in Minnesota at least, is Harrelson. And that was the number one apple for, oh, 60 years or so in Minnesota. Uh, Honeycrisp came along and kind of bumped uh, up ahead of it. So Honeycrisp is, is the first one now. But, uh, yeah, we've, we've had a good tradition of, of uh, making new varieties that live just fine in, these, in this climate. And you mentioned the new variety. I remember last year, I don't even think the name had been chosen yet. Well, that's correct. Uh, we had made application for name, but uh, it has to get approved by the Patent and Trademark Office. And we just got the notice on that about a week ago that the new apple is going to be named Kudos, K-U-D-O-S. Uh, so we're excited to finally have a name for the new child. And uh, But I have to warn you that it's going to be a few years before there'll be fruit or trees available. Uh, we've got a few commercial uh, orchards that have planted trees, but that takes three or four years before the fruit begins, the, the trees begin to bear. So uh, just let your listeners know it's, we're excited, but, uh, but just realize there's going to be a little time lag before you'll see fruit or trees uh, locally. My first impulse on that name is it's a modern name because back you and I, David, are about the same age. We didn't even have a word called kudos back then, did we? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, we're, we're trying to keep up with the times here. Uh, tell us some of the characteristics of the new variety Kudos. Well, it's uh, a cross between Zestar, which is one of our good early apples that we developed, oh, about 25 years ago now, 
uh, lives very well in our climate. Early ripening with a wonderful, uh, almost uh, apple pie type flavor to it. And we crossed that with Honeycrisp, which I hope everybody knows that one, crisp and juicy. And so the offspring got some of that texture from uh, Honeycrisp and some of that interesting flavor from the Zestar. So uh, we, uh, as we always hope in our breeding, we hope to get the best traits of each parent. And uh, I think we were at least pretty successful with uh, the kudos in doing that. If I remember correctly, it's a lot of trial and error. You can use some modern breeding techniques to increase the odds of finding that magic cross, but it's a lot of trial and error, isn't it? Well, it is. Uh, we still, our success rate is about one in 10,000. So for every 10,000 seedling trees that we develop from our breeding, only one of them is good enough to make it all the way through. And that generally takes about 20 years for that process to be completed. So yeah, it's, uh, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And I think the university is just very well suited to that uh, mindset of, of um, bearing down and getting the job done, uh, even if it takes a few decades. It, it would be hard for a, a private company to develop an apple breeding program and have to wait 20 years or more. So that's a role that the university for its citizens, I always point out who owns the University of Minnesota. I owned a little piece because I'm a citizen, right? Yeah, that, that's correct. Uh, yeah, it's, it's not a great business model for a private company to uh, only get a product after 20 years of development. But, uh, yeah, university is well suited to that. We're going to be here. We've been here for 100 years plus, and we're going to be here for another 100, I hope. So, so do, uh, yeah, that's the idea. Does the program then get some base funding from the university, but then when you release a new one, it's commercialized? So every time a consumer would go to the nursery and buy one of your trees, you'd get a, a little royalty on that, right, to help fund the program too? Well, that's right. We would probably be in big trouble if we didn't have some ability to generate um, some of our own funds that keep the program going. The university does, that's right, keep the lights on, but, you know, university funding is always tight, and so I think if we weren't able to be somewhat self-sufficient, we, we might be history by now. It also takes uh, younger apple breeders, too, and you've had grad students where you've trained and have worked with you, too, haven't you, David, for the next generation? Well, that's right. Yeah, we have uh, kind of the next generation lined up already that's starting to work already. I'm, I'm retiring uh, as we speak uh, halfway. I'm, I'm on 50% uh, time now, and I'll keep my hands uh, active here for a little bit longer. But, yeah, the next group is kind of coming into place and uh, has all the uh, intention of continuing to do what we've been doing for, actually about 115 years now in the breeding program. But obviously you loved what you're doing, and so it's kind of nice that you can slow down a little bit but still uh, take a vacation when you want to, but yet still help out the program. Yeah, yeah. No, it is, it is a good scenario and uh, hard to walk away from, you know, something you've done for, for 45 years and nice that I don't have to walk away. I can just tiptoe uh, a little bit at a time. <laughs> 
when you first tasted back about 20 years ago that cross between Zestar and Honeycrisp, and this this was a, did you instantly know when you tasted this one on this cross and that tree, this was a one? <laughs> well, you know, I had a good feeling about it, uh, although I have to tell you the way that works, the first time you taste them, they, they, the ones that we mark to go on always seem good. But then I've had, you know, a fair number of them break my heart. Uh, Two years later, they don't look like they did, and they're small, and they didn't produce a good crop that year. So you never really can tell from the first year. It's a good start, uh, but they have to prove themselves over the next eight to ten years before we get excited enough to talk about a possible release. (laughs) Well, David, if you can stand by, we have to take a break for the markets, and we'll continue with today's AM Minnesota program, Talking Apples. Soybean and cattle futures are lower on Tuesday morning. Corn and hogs are mixed. I'm John Perkins with the Brownfield Market Update. With more than 50 corn lines to choose from, Stein offers elite genetics with a broad range of traits. Learn more at steinseed.com. Soybeans are down. Harvest is just ahead of average. Expect, and the trade is expecting good progress in most of the Midwest and Plains this week. There are some delays in parts of the uh, upper Midwest, but again, widespread basis, harvest activities expected to move forward. Hot, dry conditions are limiting early planting progress in parts of Brazil. November beans are down five and a half at twelve ninety two and a quarter. January's four and three quarters lower at thirteen ten and three quarters. Soybean products this morning also down. Corn's very narrowly mixed, watching U.S. harvest activity now at fifteen percent complete, with the USDA's condition rating up slightly on the week. Anecdotal yields for corn are a little bit better than expected in parts of the region. December corn's steady at four eighty one and a quarter. March is up a quarter at four ninety six. And after some early mixed activity, wheat's up on short covering. Russia has attacked more of Ukraine's port infrastructure, this time on the Danube River. U.S. winter wheat planting's behind the five-year average, while the spring wheat harvest should wrap up soon. December Chicago's four and three quarters higher at 593 and three quarters. Seeing some profit taking, December cotton's down 31 points at 87.86. Nearby rice is up on spread trade. November's four and a half higher at 1589 and a half. Live and feeder cattle are down sharply with the recent mostly lower trend in beef getting ready for widespread direct business. October lives down $1.65 at $185.32 and December's $207 lower at $189.15. Carrying a premium to the cash index, November feeders are down $402 at $258.65. And hogs are mixed with the USDA's quarterly inventory numbers out on Thursday. October leans up $0.30 at $81.82. December's down $22 at $72.30. John Perkins. Brownfield. AM Minnesota on the Mighty 920 KDHL. The market update was sponsored by the KDHL Agro Boosters. They include Craig Keller at the Keller Insurance Agency in Nearest Rand. Craig helped protect all things important to you. Also, TNW Towing, your heavy duty towing and recovery experts. Also, Northern Buildings for quality post frame construction. Go to their website, northernbuildings.com. Along with Community Corp Oil Association in Faribault, that's where everyone is welcome to be part of the company local since 1925 to serve you better. And 3 to 1 Fence in Faribault, specializing in top quality fences for residential and commercial properties. Contact Mike or go to 321FenceInc.com. My guest in the program today, Talking Apples, is David Bedford, who's an apple breeder at the University of Minnesota. You know, David, I feel like you and I have known each other for about 20 years, and I don't think we've ever actually met in person. 
Yeah, isn't that funny? I yeah. think you might be right. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like I know you nevertheless. Yeah. Well, by the way, those of us in radio, sometimes we have to get ready for shows called show prep, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So I was doing some show prep, drinking hard apple cider. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's the kind of prep I like. Uh, yeah, let me know if you need a hand with that. Uh, at some point. Well, what's ironic is uh, two years ago, I was working at our daughter's house, painting, trying to get it ready. They were going to sell it and I was going to go out and sit down outside in the shade and rest for a little bit. And she had some hard apple cider in the fridge. And I grabbed one, and I've never been a real big beer fan, maybe a little bit in the summer when it was really hot, but that apple cider was really good, and it was called Angry Cider. Well, then I looked, and she had this little package, and there were all different, there's all kinds of hard apple cider, and it seems to be really catching on when you go and look in the store. Well, it is. You know, it actually been a big growth area, but it's a little ironic because it's almost coming full circle because uh, hard cider was very much a past of our, a part of our past in the U.S. The uh, early settlers, um, even on the East Coast where they could grow more apples, uh, always made hard cider part of their life. And uh, part of it was that, you know, generally speaking, water was a little more questionable back then. The source of the water, the cleanliness, so on and so forth. Uh, so when they could drink something that was considered safer to drink, which would be cider, uh, they would. And then, of course, it had its own advantages in, uh, I guess you call it the social aspects <laughs> of, of what a little alcohol will do. Uh, so they they had uh, very good reason to be drinking it. Well, several good reasons, yeah. uh, and now it's it's coming back into vogue again. So how how do you make apple cider? I assume just ferment, uh, like grind up the apples or mash them up and let it ferment, or how do they do it? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's basically how it was done back in the time. I mean, really, uh, hard cider is just apple juice that's fermented and. Uh, if you just um, squeeze apples and, and the juice, uh, there's usually enough naturally occurring yeast uh, on the apples that uh, that starts the fermentation process. Now, of course, nowadays it's it's a bit more controlled. They'll they'll extract the cider or the juice, and then they'll add very specific strains of yeast to get a certain outcome. But the fact is that uh, there's plenty of yeast uh, out there in nature, and uh, if you give uh, give it a chance to start generating bubbling, it will make uh, alcohol. And uh, I'm sure it all occurred naturally by mistake somewhere back thousands of years ago, uh, but now we've uh, learned to take advantage of that process. And is it uh, enough of a market that is, is helping apple growers uh, generate revenue for their orchards? Well, it's a whole different part of the market. Uh, so, um, yeah, it actually has spawned new new orchards that are specifically dedicated to uh, to that, and and especially in local orchards when you can get locally grown or locally grown apples made into hard cider. Then, yeah, that's generated its own little, uh, I guess, side venture for a number of states. So you aren't developing uh, apple varieties yet or working on it to make good cider yet? 
Not directly, but we do have one that, that was an older variety that um, <clears throat> really wasn't quite good enough to be a fresh eating apple, especially under our newer standards of Honeycrisp and beyond. Um, but it turns out that it does make pretty good cider. So we're looking at that as a, as a possible release somewhere in the future, uh, a Minnesota cider variety. Well, speaking of apples again, too, we should talk about the apple crop this year and the impact of the drought. Boy, a lot of us uh, old-timers are comparing this to the drought of 1988. So what are your thoughts on how those apple trees survived? Yeah, it it has been a tough stretch, and actually for the last several years. um, The good news is that apples, because they're perennial woody plants, have much deeper roots than than your typical uh, farm crops that are planted from seed each year. So we have that advantage, and and fortunately, we're not losing trees to drought. Uh, But what generally happens, and is happening this year, is that we get um, a reduction in the size of the apples. It uh, doesn't really affect the flavor or the texture, but it just means in general those those apples are going to be a little smaller. Uh, and uh, also the other thing I guess to, to remember is that, that um, a number of the more recent orchards in Minnesota, well, even some of the older ones, are using drip irrigation now. So we can get through those tough times, keep that fruit size up uh, with a minimal amount of water. So that that's really what we're looking at nowadays. Yeah, I was thinking of that because, you know, you look at farmers raising corn and soybeans in parts of Minnesota, a big center pivot irrigation rig doing 40 acres, 80 acres or 160. But apple orchards typically aren't that many acres, so you just run a hose pressure on it and just uh, some sort of hole or you put something so a drip by the root or by the the each tree then yeah yeah that's right it, it's gotten a little more complex than that nowadays but that's the principle basically by uh just dripping a little water continuously not continuously but over a longer period of time uh, you don't have to supply that much water for an acre of trees and uh, very efficient use of the water we have. And uh, again, it, it can really make a nice difference in the size of the fruit. It's really cool when you're in an area, even here around Faribault, we have a number of commercial orchards and then you go down southeast Minnesota, they seem more popular, but it's pretty cool when you go into any grocery store you know at least the chains there have a number of stores there's a then they're proud of it locally grown apples yeah that's right you don't see them as much as you do as as much as we'd like to but uh yes whenever you can find the locally grown ones uh i think they're always a little better first of all they're picked on time they're suited to our climate and they're not shipped uh, 2,000 miles. So uh, that's always good. And then, of course, if you can go directly to the orchard in your area, well, that's even better yet. You can't get any fresher than that, yeah. and you get kind of the uh, the enjoyment of, of being out in an orchard setting. Yeah. yeah, many orchards do that. They might be supplying some stores and farmers' markets, but many of them you can go right out there and, and pick up however many you want. Yeah, that's that's the most enjoyable way for me. 
How was a proper way to store an apple? Can you just put it in your pantry? Should it be in the refrigerator, David? I guess I never gave it some thought. Usually ours just sit in the, the pantry, but if they're behind something and you lose track of them, eventually they will get mushy. Yeah, well, definitely refrigerated is better. Now, yes, they will store out on a countertop or a pantry uh, better than than some vegetables and that sort of thing. But if you keep them out at room temperature, they're aging about five times faster than they would in the refrigerator. So you keep them out on the shelf, you're going to have only one-fifth the storage life that you would in the refrigerator. So anywhere in the refrigerator is good. Um, If you put them in a plastic bag with some vent uh, holes in it uh, that lets it breathe a little it's nice to kind of keep the humidity up a little so if you put it down in your vegetable crisper section that's fine if you have them in a plastic bag with ventilated holes then you can put them anywhere in the refrigerator but you know either way cooler is better because basically uh, once you pick that apple it's on its way to dying and decomposing and just like a human body or a cow or whatever yeah. <laughs> refrigeration prolongs the uh the the life of the product <laughs> so uh definitely refrigerate and some people say oh but i don't like a cold apple it's cold on my teeth well you can bring them out an hour before yeah, or a day yeah, before right. whatever it might be but for real storage life you want to keep them refrigerated now, they say confession is good for the soul, right, Dave? I've heard that. Yep, yep. So, uh, well, I like my apples with something else. Uh, back when I was a kid, I loved carameled apples. Well, my oh, wife yeah. totally corrupted me because now she can buy these little packets of caramel. You open and peel them up, and they're about an inch and a half in diameter. Cut up the apple in slices, and I like a little bit of apple with my caramel. <laughs> well, that's good. It makes it seem healthy if you can work an <laughs> yeah, apple in there somehow. See? Yeah, but because technically apples are very nutritious for you too, aren't they? There is something they to are, an absolutely. apple a day yeah, keeps yeah. the doctor away. Yes, well, I, that that's right. Um, you know, they always say that an apple a day keeps the doctor away, and. I remember at the peak of my apple tasting, I was eating about 500 a day, or I should say (laughs) tasting 500 a day. So at at that rate, I should never have to see a doctor. (laughs) Well, we've still got a couple of three minutes left. Is something we should have talked about, apples that we haven't mentioned so far, David? Well, I think you've done a pretty good job of covering it all. I'd say, uh, you know, one thing to consider for your listeners when you're Going into the winter, the fact that we have had a drought, yes, these apple trees do have deep roots and they're not going to die in the summer. But if they go into the winter in a weakened condition, sometimes that can be hard on them. So I would advise um, giving them a good soaking now. But as we get even closer to winter, just make sure that they go into that winter hydrated. Even, even to the point that they've lost their leaves, uh, but the ground hasn't frozen, still good to get those roots nice and saturated so that uh, poor trees not not stressed uh, if we have a tough winter. Well, and the other thing is this is about the third year. I mean, the last couple of years have been much drier than normal, and this year was really bad. So, you know, this is like the third year in a row now maybe that we've been stressing the trees a bit. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And and a lot of winter injury is sort of a cumulative effect of whatever stress it might be. And, uh, you know, if they go into that winter stressed and then they get a, we get a tough winter, 
that could be the tipping point. So we can't control the weather, that's for sure, but we can control the hydration and whatnot of those trees, especially if you just have a few of them in your yard. You'll put that hose on them, just let that run, uh, you know, for an hour, half an hour, something like that, just to let that gradually soak down and uh, get down, you know, a couple of feet down to where those roots are living. Is there any sort of fertility that folks should be doing if they've got, you know, a few apple trees out back or, you know. It... Well, it's never never a bad idea to have a little fertilizer on them. Of course, the best way is actually test the soil and, and see how they're doing. Uh, but I'd have to say with our rich soil, our clay loam soil throughout most of Minnesota, uh, fertilizer is generally not the limiting factor. Uh, good to make sure we have enough, but, um, you know, water is more important uh, than fertilizer. And uh, so if you're seeing a tree that's pale, not growing very much, uh, you know, I'd like to see at least six or eight inches of new growth on the end of those shoots every year. If you're not seeing that and they're pale, well, then, then a little fertilizer would not be bad. But generally speaking, it's not the limiting factor. So trees, uh, apple trees that are planted here in the upper Midwest, there's a very good chance then that all of them are varieties that were developed by the University of Minnesota, or does the one out east or out west, do they, are they winter hardy that survive in Minnesota too? And you have a little more competition here then. Well, yes. I mean, the majority of what's grown up here are ones that were developed here. And ones that are grown on or developed on either coast uh, really are more marginal. Uh, I won't say that some of them won't grow here. And now they're starting to use Honeycrisp in their breeding lines. So we're getting a little of that hardy germplasm coming through. But they really haven't tested them, generally speaking, in our climate. So uh, I won't say they won't grow, but you're 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 taking a gamble if you plant them. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to visit with us again this year, David, and we'll look forward to uh, visiting with you next year as you kind of just work a few less hours, but still you're involved. You mentioned before we went on the air, you've cut down to about half time, but when apple breeding is in your blood, it's in your blood, I guess. Well, that's right. Yeah, I'm enjoying the uh, half in, half out, and uh, hopefully can do that for a, a few more years. Thanks for your time, David. We'll look forward to talking again next year. Thank you. David Bedford, the apple breeder at the university. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.